Hey, Hope City Church, welcome to the second part, the second week of a series we're in called Thriving in Babylon. And we're taking three weeks uh, to, to study and to learn from the book of Daniel, a book in the Old Testament. And this is actually a series that I taught um, our church back in 2015. Uh, but just really feel like this is a relevant book and a relevant topic for where we're at. Um, and we just need to be reminded of some of the truths that Daniel teaches us. And so we're studying the book of Daniel to try to answer this question. How can a Christian live confidently and passionately in a world that more and more doesn't seem to value what God values? How can a Christian live confidently and passionately in a world that more and more seems to not value what God values? And we shortened that up because that's kind of a tongue twister, but we shortened it up to, to say it like this. How does my faith affect my response to adversity? How does my faith, uh, how does my faith affect my response to adversity? And I, I think this series is so important because, you know, for our current situation, it feels like every day that passes, people are trying to draw lines in the sand. You feel that way? And, and this is not new. Like people have always been trying to divide us, but. But specifically with COVID and with medical orders and with government mandates and social media and lawsuits and everything else, it just feels like people are trying to draw a line in the sand. And so the question that I've kind of been thinking about and the reason we're doing this series is because I've been thinking about what is the role of a Christian? If you're watching this or uh, you know, listening to this and your faith is in Jesus Christ, what is the role of a Christian? And what does God expect of us in a time like this? What, is, what does God expect of us? Should we fight? If, if that's your plan, I got to give you a heads up. I am no help. Like I just, I, I can't throw a punch. I'm not any good at it. All right. Are we supposed to fight? Should we hire lawyers? Should we protest and riot? Should we submit and do exactly what we're told? Should we join the conversations and comment threads? Should we start a private Facebook group? Um, should we argue with our brother-in-law? I, Somebody said the other day, man, you always, like, who's your brother-in-law? You always pick on your brother-in-law. It's just, you know, it's always the brother-in-law. I don't know. I have a great brother-in-law if you're watching right now. But I don't know if you ever think about this like I think about this, but it's like, what is, what is my response? How should I respond to adversity? How should I respond to controversy? How should I respond to a culture that doesn't value what I value or value what, what God Values. How do I live in that world? What does God expect of me? So we're taking three weeks to try and answer that question. And, and what we're doing is we're identifying three qualities that Daniel had um, that we should have, that we could have, because Daniel lived and uh, was, was raised in a culture that definitely didn't value what God values. He was raised by the Babylonians. And we talked about that last week. We talked about hope. That was the first quality was hope. We can have hope even when life is crazy because God is in control of who is in control. We read that in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, it just told us that, yeah, even though Nebuchadnezzar came in to Jerusalem and besieged it, it was the Lord who gave him victory and permitted him to take some of the stuff from the temple so that even when we don't agree with what's happening or we're unsure with why it's happening, we don't have to wonder because we know God is in control of who's in control. Daniel knew that, allowed him to, to have hope. And so that's our starting point. Hope is our starting point, that God's not surprised 
or scared. He doesn't have to improvise. He's in control of who's in control. So that leads us to our second point, uh, second characteristic that, that we should have, that Daniel had, because we have Jesus Christ, and, and that is humility. Everybody say humility. 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 Now, I want to I share some stats or a stat with you. Um, when asked by the Barna Group, it's a, it's a company that does uh, research for a lot of things, but Christian research. When asked by the Barna Group, what words or phrases best describe Christianity? The top response among Americans ages 16 to 29 was, when, when you hear the word Christian, what do you think of? 16 to 29, top response was anti-homosexual. Anti-homosexual. For a staggering 91% of non-Christians, this was the first word that came to their mind when they were asked about the Christian faith. Nine out of 10. When you think of the word Christian, ages 16 to 29, nine out of 10 said, I think anti-homosexual, right? 80% of, of young churchgoers, so they interviewed 80% of young, or of a young same age group churchgoers and 80% of them, these are people who go to church. They said words like judgmental, hypocritical, and too involved in politics. So this is 80%, okay? Anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, too involved in politics. This was the feedback of the generation that's coming up and has most recently been in culture seeing how Christians act and behave and respond. Now, the point of these stats is not that we shouldn't stand for what we believe the Bible declares is truth, that we shouldn't duck away from conversations about sexuality or, or what the Bible teaches, what is truth. As a matter of fact, I think we need to stand firmly on truth. I think what the stats say and what this shows to us is that when people hear the word Christian, what they think about more than anything else is they think about our tone. Think about our tone. They think about how we sound when we say what we say, how we look when we say what we say, how we make them feel when we say what we say. They think about our tone. And Daniel's tone Daniel's tone, when he was put in a position to conform and to compromise his beliefs, his tone is unbelievable. We're going to read it in just a second, but it's mind-blowing how Daniel is able to have hope. He trusts that God's in control, who's in control. And when he's put in this position where people don't value what he values and, and, and he, he's asked to compromise what he believes... His tone is just unreal. And so we're going to read it together. Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. It's a doozy, all right? We're going to read for a little while. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 15, all right? And this is what these verses are, are going to show us. It's going to show us that you're only as spiritual as the kindness you show to those you disagree with. You're only as spiritual as the kindness that you show to those that you disagree with. Okay, this is what we're going to find out as we read these verses. Okay, so we're going to start at verse 5. We're going to read verse 15. This is what it says. It says, The king assigned them, talking about uh, all the, the men and young boys who were captured, but specifically talking about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. 
Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah, the chief of staff, named them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. We said last week that, that Belteshazzar means prince of Satan. So this is what Daniel's name was. Verse 8, look at verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. This is a huge verse because what it doesn't say is Daniel wasn't going to cause any problems. Daniel was just going to go for the flow, go with the flow. It says Daniel had conviction. He was not going to back down. He was not going to not stand for truth. He was not going to compromise what he believed. He was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Verse 9, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. But Daniel spoke, verse 11, with the attendant who had been appointed to the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us, verse 12, for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And Daniel said, and at the end of the 10 days... Uh, see how we look compared to our, the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Verse 14, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Last verse, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And I'll read you one more. So after that, uh, that's what the attendant agreed to do. Fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Now, it's a lot of scripture, but some really good stuff in there. The first thing we read is that Daniel was determined not to defile himself. So this is not a sermon about compromising. This is not a sermon about uh, going back on your beliefs. It's not a sermon about looking like the world or any of those things. So we know that his conviction is solid. He's not going to defile himself. But then we read the rest of the verses and we see a guy who doesn't really act like the people that we know who are determined to take a stand. Think about the people you know in your life who like are passionate about taking a stand and think about their tone. Think about how they act. And then what we just read about Daniel, he's determined not to defile himself. He's going to take a stand, but he doesn't do it the way we do it. He does it with humility. He does it with humility. Look at verse eight. He says, it says he asked the chief of staff for permission. He asked for permission. Verse 12, he said, please, please and thank you. Verse 14, he said to the attendant, uh, it said that they agreed with the, the Daniel's suggestion. Daniel's making a suggestion, right? Ask for permission, please and thank you, suggestions. Question for you, does this sound like most of the Christians you know on Facebook, anybody? Does this sound like, you know, the, the guy on the street corner? No, it doesn't sound like that. Daniel didn't call a press conference. Daniel didn't start a podcast, right? Now, again, let's just be clear because I know what some people are hearing and it's not what I'm saying. This is not just about being a kind person, okay? We want to be kind. We want to be loving. But this is more than just being soft. If you hear this and you think, oh, it's about being soft. It's not about, it's about humility. It's about humility. Because our hope is in God, because Daniel's hope is in God, who is in control of who's in control, Daniel is not threatened. Did, when we read that together, did you get the sense that Daniel was threatened? Daniel didn't seem threatened at all. Well, how could he not seem threatened? I mean, he's being asked, he was named Prince of Demons and he's being asked to do exactly what his God told him not to do. 
he was secure enough and confident enough to not feel threatened because he believed that God was in control of who is in control, that God is in charge of the situation. So he's not threatened. He doesn't feel the need to be loud or have bravado. He doesn't feel the need to get up in anybody's face. His tone is is filled and covered with humility. And it's easy to kind of pick on Facebook and it's easy to pick on our brother-in-law or the guy who stands on the street corner, but I think it's a it's a good moment for us to kind of stop and just challenge ourselves. How's our tone? How threatened do we feel? How strong do we feel like we have to stand? Right? And so what I want to do is I want to give you three questions. I'm going to challenge you today with three questions when it comes to the way that we interact with people. Remember, here, here's the question we're trying to answer. How does my faith affect, uh, affect how is my faith affected when I'm, when I'm facing adversity? How do I live in a world that, you know, is, is, is valuing things I don't value? So, so we're talking humility. We're talking about our tone and how we deal with people. So here are three questions to challenge you when it comes to the way that you interact with people. Question number one is this. Number one, is my tone about culture or people angry or respectful? Is my tone about culture or people angry or, respect, uh, or, or respectful? And maybe we need to ask like your roommate or your spouse to give the answer for this, but you could probably be honest enough with yourself to, to maybe answer this. When you find yourself talking about politics, do you find your vo- volume going up? When you find yourself talking about a law that was passed or a TV show that's on TV or a movie that's coming out or a new, a new business that's going in in your neighborhood that does something you disagree with, when you talk about it, how do you talk about it? When you talk about you know, college students nowadays or when you talk about the teachers teaching some subject at, in, in school that you, know, you don't want your kids to be part, how do you talk about it? Do you find yourself getting hotter and hotter and hotter and louder and louder and louder and angrier and angrier and angrier? Or is it respectful? I want to read you a verse. This is James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. This is what James said. James was the brother of Jesus. And he said, understand this, my brothers and sisters, that you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's another sermon. (laughs) And slow to get angry. Now, this is the emphasis that I I want to show you this. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Like that needs to be your next tattoo, okay? It's like, but Jason, you don't understand. Like if we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? Listen, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Yeah, but God would want them to know. He does want them to know. But you need to know that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, what James is saying and what we should know by now is that anger doesn't solve the problem. Anger doesn't solve the problem. And if what you're trying to accomplish is to convince someone of something that God wants them to know, you will not convince them with anger. You won't. So think about it it this way. I'm going to give you the second question in just a second, but think about it this way. Can you think of one example in your life So I'm not talking about some story you heard about some guy who heard. I'm talking about in your life. Can you think of one example of someone who was guilted or argued into a relationship with God? One example. That somebody dropped the hammer and because they were authoritative and angry or or used guilt, somebody fell in love with Jesus. 
I've been following Jesus for 20 years now. I can't think of one. But you know what I think of? When I think of all of the leaders and the people in my life who have helped me grow spiritually, you know what I, I think of the quality that they all have is encouragement, kindness, love. Those are the people who put their arms around me. Even when I was doing wrong things or things that I needed to know and, or learn, these were people who I knew loved me, so I listened to them. But the people who are always guilting me, I don't listen to them. I never listen to them. So you think about you. What is your tone? Because we're talking about humility and the tone that Daniel had. What is the tone when you talk about culture, education, politics? Is it, is it angry or is it respectful? I know, I know, I know, I know. If I understood, yeah. Is it angry or respectful? Let me give you the second question. When it comes to uh, our tone or how we interact with people, second question is, do I focus on the hypocritical areas of my life as much or more as I focus on others? Now, I can go ahead and answer this question for all of us. The answer is no, because we're sinful people and we don't want to look in the mirror. But, but I want you to think about this. Like, Think about the irony of the way that we talk about what other people do when we know what we do. We know the stuff we do that nobody else knows we do. We know our thoughts. We know our feelings. We know our actions. We know what we do in private. We know. And without even thinking, we can like talk down a person who does the exact same thing that we do. Have you ever found yourself doing that? I do it. You do it. We all do it. And it's like, wait a second. I do that. I do that. Right? I wrote this down. If all the Christians in the world, if all, let's just say in Louisville, if all the Christians in Louisville for one year, one year, would quit looking at porn, quit smoking weed, quit having sex with people they're not married to, quit committing adultery, uh, pay their taxes, and everybody would just adopt one foster child, you think the world would be different? You think the city of Louisville would be different? If ever, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the Christians. If the Christians just said, you know what? No more perversion, no more adultery, uh, no more drugs, no more alcohol, uh, no, no more getting wasted. And I, you know what? I'm going to help poor people and I'm going to adopt a foster kid. It wouldn't even matter what non-Christian people did. We would change a city. We would change a community. We would change a neighborhood. But instead of focusing on us and what we do, we try to get angry at other people and, and fight them into a love and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Let me give you one more. Third question to challenge you about your interactions with people and your interactions with culture. Third question is this. Are there any non-Christians in your life who disagree with your beliefs but respect you as a person? Let's just let that one sink in for a second. Are there any non-Christians in your life who disagree with your beliefs but respect you as a person? You know, one of the ways they described Jesus was that he was the great teacher. And people who did not agree with what Jesus said loved to hear him teach the things that he taught. Think about that for a second. This is what Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says. It says, never let... Uh, it says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you'll find favor with both God and people and you'll earn a good reputation. This is what Daniel did. 
Daniel was faced with compromise. He was faced with doing things that he didn't want to do, didn't believe he should do or could do. But he, he didn't get angry. He didn't feel the need to stand in some bravado type of way. With humility, he went to the people that he disagreed with. And he lived in such a way and acted in such a way that he earned favor with them. And they looked favorably upon him because of the way that he acted. And what we learn from these verses is that you are only as spiritual as the kindness you show to those you disagree with. You're only as spiritual as the kindness you show. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, if you love people who love you, what good is that? Even sinners can do that. That's how Jesus said it. And and if there's something inside of you right now that's even angry as you're listening to this, but you don't understand. I'm talking about your heart. I'm not talking about their heart. I'm talking about my heart. If I have faith, if I say my faith is in Jesus Christ and my hope and my confidence is in Jesus Christ and it's not in this world, and I've got to look in the mirror and ask myself, do I love Jesus enough to love people who disagree with me? Do I love Jesus enough to treat people well that don't treat me well? Do I love people enough to show respect for people who disrespect me? Do I love Jesus enough to be able to submit to authority that mocks or you know, makes fun of my beliefs or, or, or my faith or my hope in Jesus Christ? Because if your faith or your love in Jesus doesn't enable you to love people who don't love you back, that's not very spiritual. And what we want is like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is we want hope because we know God's in control and we want humility. We want God to soften our hearts and to help our hearts. And instead of being angry, be broken. Instead of being angry, weep for people that don't know Jesus. Instead of fighting, pray. Instead of being loud, pray. And, and, and love people and treat people in a way. Not where we compromise. Not where we act like the world. We can be committed like Daniel to not defile ourselves, but we can act and love with humility. So I'm going to pray for you. And uh, I hope this message challenges you like it has challenged me. We all need this reminder. God, help me to have the humility to love and treat people well that, that don't agree with me or maybe don't agree with you, God. So I'm going to pray for us and hope that the Holy Spirit can help us put this into our lives. Let's pray. God. Thank you that we don't have to worry about who's in control. We don't have to worry about uh, who's winning and who's losing. God, you're winning. You're never losing. You're always in control. And so, God, I pray that we, this, this feeling that we feel, God, that we're threatened or we're losing ground or we've got to fight or we've got to change the world or we've got to do something for you, God, I pray that you would help us to lay that down and to trust you enough to live with kindness and love hanging around our necks, with grace and dignity and humility, to realize that we can't talk anybody into or guilt anybody into or fight anybody into loving you. But God, what we can do is live in a way that models a passionate relationship with you and 
pray that the Holy Spirit would grab a hold of someone's heart. God, help us in areas where we feel tempted to compromise, to not compromise. But God, just because we're not going to compromise doesn't mean we got to fight. God, help us to be the kind of people who love you enough to love people who don't agree with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.